good to see all of you this morning. Glad uh, you're all able to make it. Um, thanks for, for coming. Um, before we get started, before we go before God's word, why don't we uh, come before him in prayer. Mighty Lord, uh, you are God and you are King. As we come before you, we ask that you would work in our hearts. You would teach us, Lord, your ways, that you would teach us how to trust you, uh, even in the midst of trials and sufferings. And Lord, as we go through this life uh, with its burdens, uh, with its uh, difficulties, ask that you would remind us time and again that you are a comforter, that you have provided everything we need. Help us, Lord, to give, to submit to you. As you uh, learn from your word this morning, may you teach us your secret ways through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I put it on the table. Um, well, good morning. Glad to see all of you. So uh, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about joy. Last week, uh, we got to have Evan and Holly come and visit, which was really awesome. Uh, but two weeks ago, uh, we talked about joy, the virtue of joy. Uh, essential virtue, right, is one of the virtues that uh, God says should define his people. If you were to imagine a Christian, you cannot imagine a Christian without there being joy. Uh, partly because, right, if God has done all these amazing things for you, how can you not be joyful? If he has truly saved you from your sins and you understand the magnitude of that, right, that should bring out joy in us. Uh, and we talked about how <clears throat> joy is not something that we accomplish, right? It's not a work that we do. Uh, it's not something that you go out and acquire for yourself. Joy is something that uh, kind of that <laughs> comes to you as you immerse yourself in the things of the Lord. Right? If you want to be joyful, it's the same thing if you want to be warm. If you want to be warm, go sit next to a fire. Same thing with joy. If you want to be joyful, go sit at the feet of Jesus right, and learn from him. That's when you will find joy. It's not when you're trying to get it for yourself and control it, right? Uh, and instead of being controlled right by our circumstances or being controlled by our emotions, the virtue of joy is those things are being conformed to God. So instead of us being driven by our emotions or having our circumstances affect us, it's the opposite. We say, well, here's these circumstances that God has put in my life. Right? Here's this trial that James says, I'm going through. Consider it a joy to be going through that trial. That's a response. right? It's a response to the circumstance. Not the circumstance ruling you, right? but you responding in the way that God has called you to respond. Uh, and we also talked about how our emotions don't rule us, right? We don't live in order to uh, to get happiness, right? Or even to avoid sadness. Joy is deeper than that. Joy is conforming even our emotions to what the Lord says is true, which means that our emotions are not neutral, right? To be depressed all the time, maybe there's there's other factors affecting that, but that doesn't make it a neutral thing, right? And especially with the world where feelings and emotions rule supreme. Well, I just feel that this is true, or I feel this way, and you can't tell me otherwise. Right? Our emotions are not neutral. And Scripture calls us uh, to conform them to Christ. And that concept, right? even the concept of, of considering a trial a joyful thing is, is completely foreign to the world. That doesn't make sense. The world looks at bad things that happen and says, this shouldn't happen, or this could have been avoided, or I need to avoid this. Uh, instead of the other way around, the Christian seeing trials as one of the means that God uses to love you. If you want to be a Christian, that means right that you don't that you not only anticipate there being trials and sufferings, but you expect them, and in a sense, they are 
a thing to be joyful about because they're how God grows us. Uh, as we looked at James, right? It's how God purifies our faith by removing all the impurities, by burning off uh, all the things that are holding us back from trusting him. It doesn't make it easy. Right? The Christian life is not supposed to be easy, but that does mean that joy is, is a much deeper thing uh, than just responding to circumstance. Um, and I think two weeks ago, I, I may have been a little uh, you know, heavy-handed with, okay, joy and happiness completely separate. Don't think about them in the same way. Uh, that's not completely true. Uh, joy and happiness are related. I think joy is, is a deeper form of it. It's, it's a happiness that is not responding to a circumstance. It's, it's a rejoicing. Uh, and we didn't have time to talk about it, but uh, I had this point in my notes that if we are to be joyful people, how does that express itself? Rejoicing and praising God. If you read the Psalms, you cannot escape the fact that they praise God and they rejoice over and over and over again. So that's the attitude that we are called to have. Not just, right, okay, I'm going to grit my teeth and bear it, but rejoice and praise God. But I think uh, similar, not the same, but similar to how when we talked about humility, then I decided we should have a lesson on pride, right? Because you can't talk about them separately. Uh, I think there's another, there's something similar to joy that we should talk about, but not in the same way. If humility and pride are like polar opposites, and one's a virtue, the other's a vice, uh, that's not what I want to do now. I want to talk about sorrow. Because if there's joy in the Christian life, there's also sorrow. And I don't think sorrow is a vice. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. But I think uh, as we look at our lives, as we look at what God tells us our lives will be like, both of those things will be present. There will be joys and there will be sorrows. So that's what I think we should talk about now. Um, and I'm not saying that sorrow is a virtue. Uh, I'm not convinced that it's not a virtue, but I'm not convinced it is either. Uh, I, I think it's par- it's not part of the fruits of the Spirit, right? It's not necessarily something commanded by God to be sorrowful. Um, but it seems to me that the Christian life in this life in this world, will include sorrow. It's just an inescapable part of living in a broken, sinful world. There will be sorrow. And if we don't have sorrow, or if we never experience it, maybe the question is, okay, well then, do you really understand the depths of sin? If you've never grieved over your own sin, maybe you don't understand just how terrible a sinner you are. Or maybe if you've never grieved over the hurt and pain that someone else has experienced, right? You're, you don't understand what they're going through. And I think ultimately, right, if we don't experience sorrow in this life, I don't think we get the cross. That the cross is simultaneously the most joyful and the most sorrowful event that's ever happened. It's joyful, right, because that means our salvation, but it's sorrowful because it was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. That is a sorrowful thing. So this is why I think we should talk about sorrow. Um, not just because uh, we should talk about the opposite of joy, but there's Scripture is full of sorrow. There's people who experience it. There are examples in Scripture. And there's even this whole book written called Lamentations. It's a book of sorrow. 
It's a book written by someone who's crying out to God and, and grieving over the pain and destruction that has been caused to Jerusalem. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read Lamentations. Um, <laughs> I had to be like, man, I don't even know if I've read it. Um, but it's, it's pretty profound, the things that he says, in that he's grieving over what God is doing, but at the same time saying that this is what is right. We brought this upon ourselves with our sin. Um, so if you have a chance, I'd read Lamentations. So if, the, if there's a whole book of the Bible written about sorrow, if there's psalm after psalm uh, talking about sorrow and about the, the pain that he, the psalmist is going through, then maybe we should talk about it too. Um, so that's why I think we should talk about it, because we either will experience it, uh, you maybe have experienced it already, um, and so I think we should talk about what it means for us as Christians. So there's a few verses um, that I think are are very profound and integral to how we understand um, what it means to walk in a broken world. Uh, this is one verse from uh, Mark chapter 14. So Jesus is uh, is about to go to the cross, right? And so he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And here's what happens. Uh, this is Mark 14, 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where all you could do is fall on your face and pray. Uh, but this is not just an attitude that we have, but Jesus himself has gone through this. Right? Jesus himself has experienced sorrow even to death, where all he could do was fall on his face and pray. And that's pretty profound, because one, right, that gives us the permission to be sorrowful in our lives. That if Jesus can do it, right, we are not terrible Christians for experiencing sorrow. But it also means, right, that as we, as we see Peter and James and John, right, they, they don't get it. Jesus seeks them to just watch over him while he prays, but what happens, right, time after time he comes back and he finds them sleeping. Instead of praying with Jesus or, or watching over him while he prays, uh, they just fall asleep. Right, so it's, it's not just that Jesus is feeling sorrowful. It's also showing how the disciples are not realizing the depth of what's happening. Uh, in a sense, they don't have the, they don't understand what's going to happen to Jesus and how sorrowful that will be. But there's another, there's another chapter, uh, verse uh, in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, uh, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and yet we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. So there's two things I think this tells us about sorrow and what God has to say about sorrow in our lives. First, that's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 
and that's verses 8 through 10. Right, the first thing that we notice, right, is that Paul says that they are sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. So as we talked a couple of weeks ago, right, I think uh, it was Peter who asked the question. I don't see him here today. Uh, but he asked this question, right, can you be sorrowful and joyful at the same time? Or are those the same thing? Right? How do we make sense of that? Um, and what we came away with right, was that, no, they're not the same thing, but they can happen at the same time. And I think this gives us a picture, right, that our lives are sometimes both sorrowful and yet rejoicing. That there are things that affect us and make us sorrowful, and yet there is always reason to rejoice. Uh, What you can boil it down to, right, is that sorrow does not define God's people. It's not a defining attribute. Joy is. Joy should define God's people. So sorrow is not, you know, this defining attribute that God's people have to exhibit, that it's commanded. No, sometimes we are sorrowful, but yet we should always be rejoicing. So this is why I, I don't want to call it a virtue, right? Because it's it's not something that is supposed to define us as God's people. Um, but at the same time, right, it's it's part of living in this life that it will happen, that Paul himself, right, experienced sorrows. He was put in prison. He had a thorn in the flesh. Um, So many reasons to be sorrowful. And yet, Paul's attitude was always one of rejoicing. There's another passage. Um, If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to this passage because I think it's really important. Um, This is John uh, 16. So turn to John 16, um, verses 21 through 23. Or I guess, um, starting in verse 20. So Jesus is is foretelling uh, what will happen to him, right? He's about to to go to the cross uh, and die. And he tells his disciples, right, in just a little while, you're not going to see me anymore. And they're like, what do you mean we're not going to see you anymore? And here's what Jesus says, verse 20 in chapter 16 of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So what do you, th- what, what does this passage tell you about sorrow? What does this passage teach you through Jesus' words? Yeah, that it's temporary, right? Whatever is going on is is not meant to be uh, the defining uh, defining characteristic 
of, of Jesus' disciples. This is only meant to be temporary, and it will pass away. What else does this teach us about sorrow? Yeah. The uh, the image that Jesus gives, right, is of a woman giving birth. Um, I don't know if you've ever given birth. I haven't. But <laughs> I hear from others that it's very hard. My wife is uh, quick to remind me that it's not the same and that no pain that I could ever feel it will be the same as pain of childbirth. Uh, and she's probably right. Probably. <laughs> yeah, she's right. Uh the pain is excruciating, right? It's it's unlike any other pain. But what Jesus likens it to, right, is that there's this incredible amount of pain. But as soon as a baby is born, it's like it never happened. Why? Because what just came out of that pain was far more beautiful and worth every second of that pain. That's what the Christian life is like. Yeah, we have pain now, incredible pain. There will be times of peace, uh, but there will also be times in our lives when we experience really deep and dark things. But the joy that will come out of it is worth every second of it. Right? If we're if we're called to love God with our hearts, that means that we need to grasp and and cling to this joy that we have coming for us, and that all the pain that we experience now is. Absolutely worth it. And part of the pain that we have, right, is that we don't see Jesus yet. If we did, there would be no pain. There would be no injustice in the world. There would be no bodily problems, right? We would not suffer illnesses or pains or aches or, or depression. Those things would not exist. So in a sense, part of our sorrow, right, is that we are not there yet. The, the Psalms of Ascent um, are some of my favorite Psalms in Scripture because they have this, like, I, I'm dwelling in the midst of a terrible land that is full of destruction and pain and injustice, and I can't wait to be with God's people in the heavenly place. Right, there's a hope that the psalmist is looking forward to and knowing that's, that's where I belong. And even though that's, this is where I'm at right now, I know I'm headed towards that place. So this passage teaches us, right, that sorrow is temporary, that it doesn't last, uh, and that it's worth it. It's worth it because it will turn into a joy that Jesus says no one can take from you. Uh, there's a couple other passages that I'll touch on briefly um, that kind of give us a sense of, okay, what does God's word say about sorrow? What does the Lord have to say? First Peter 2, um, where uh, Peter says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, 
one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So there's a couple more things, right? That according to this passage, that there are sorrows that will happen uh, because of injustice. Sorrows that we don't, that we haven't done something to deserve. Uh, that's part of living in a broken world, right? Is that there will be things that will happen to you that don't make sense, that you didn't earn or don't think you deserved, but God calls you to endure them. And that is actually a gracious thing. Right, what this means, right, is that God looks upon this as, as a, a wonderful thing when you endure suffering unjustly. Why? Why is that a good thing to endure suffering unjustly? John? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is backwards to the world, right? The world says you shouldn't suffer unjustly. And if you are, you need to get justice. And Christianity says it was not just what happened to Jesus. And we don't seek to live in such a way that we are isolated from all pain or never experience injustice. In fact, when we do, it is Christ-like to endure it and to still serve even an unjust master. Right for for those of you who have a job, like if your boss is a terrible boss, and he is ripping you off, that was weird. Right, it's it's still a gracious thing to do your job well, and not you know say, well, if my boss is ripping me off, then I can rip him off. But I think the point, right, is that there is unjust suffering, but to endure it. Uh, and there's this, uh, a really key thing that Peter says, right, is that this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. I think this gets at the heart. Yeah, John. That's that's James. Yeah, count it all joy when you encounter. Yeah, absolutely, Charlie. Uh, you could probably make a distinction. You could probably say like, well, just doing the right thing and then suffering for it is not the same as suffering because you're specifically a Christian. So like, contextually, we have some kind of worldly hardships right now, mm-hmm. but we aren't necessarily suffering them for Christ's sake. They're just inconveniences with, depending on where you live, with the current crisis going on. It's not that we're suffering those things for, for Jesus' sake. They're just hardships. Is that is there an equivocation to be made there? I think I think the way that we look at it, right, is whatever we experience, right, even hardships that aren't related to Jesus, right? Like 
I mean, take for example when, um, like, like the fact that churches were said you can't meet as a church. That wasn't for religious reasons, right? It wasn't specifically because they were saying Christianity is wrong and you can't meet and worship God. It was, it was unrelated in a sense, but at the same time, we look at that like, well, <laughs> that's still forcing us to not worship God. Like, yeah, maybe the reasoning is different, but there's still a sense where we are called to worship God regardless. Um, so maybe, you know, you could you could have this Cape Crusader mindset where I'm going to plant my flag and everything that I suffer is because I'm a Christian. I think it's more like everything that I suffer, I suffer for God's glory. There are things that we don't necessarily need to suffer, but we do because of, say, worldly conviction. I guess this distinction I'm trying to make. I'm not, I'm a little confused what you mean. Um, yeah, my, my gut is, I don't think it changes how we respond. Um, maybe, maybe there's a difference, right? Maybe we could come up with definitions of terms or something, but it doesn't change the fact that you're going to experience sufferings, whether it's for this reason or that reason, like your response is the same, right? Count of joy, right? Endure it, be mindful of God, um, and... And trust God with it, right? Regardless of the reason. Dave, did you have something to add? I think that's kind of what I was thinking too. In, in our response, <clears throat> our response to whatever we are enduring uh, should be glorifying God. And in that, I think there's a testimony <clears throat> to the world around us that we belong to God and we serve Him in every way, whether it's convenient or not. Yeah. Uh, to kind of recap for, if anyone didn't hear, or for people on Zoom, um, Charlie's question was, do we make a distinction between suffering for Jesus' sake specifically, or just worldly inconveniences, like does it matter? Um, I think Dave, Dave has a good point, like, whether, you know, it's an inconvenience or it's a gospel issue, right, that we're being persecuted because, specifically because we say that Jesus Christ is Lord, our response is the same, right? We live to glorify God, whatever we suffer, whether it's for this reason or that reason. Yeah. So I hope you're starting to see, right, that Joy and, and sorrow, that there's a reason why we're doing two lessons on it, right? Because they're intertwined. Because you, when we experience sorrow, we have to look to our hope and our joy in Christ. Um, and the fact that we have sorrows, right, does not take away our joy. 
Because if it did, right, then that's us being ruled by our circumstances. Uh, so that if, if one kind of sorrow, right, is, is suffering unjustly, either for the fact that we do what's right, what's morally right, regardless of the consequences, um, or if it's because simply because we say that Jesus Christ is Lord, um, there's another kind of sorrow. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, as it is, I rejoice. A little context. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church because his first letter, right, was a, a harsh rebuke against them. Um, and they take it with grief, right? They are grieved at this letter. And Paul, here's what Paul says. As it is, I rejoice, not because you are grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, and also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, and what punishment. At every point you proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So if there's one kind of sorrow that comes from suffering unjustly, there's another kind of sorrow. And it's a sorrow about being grieved at your own sin. So in a sense, you could think of it being grieved at the sin of others, either against you or against someone else, or being grieved at your own sin. So Paul's letter of rebuke right, cuts right through the Corinthian church's heart, and they're grieved. And it's not just, right, oh man, I messed up big time, but a godly grief, meaning... Man, I have messed up and I need to repent. And that's what Paul rejoices in. He says, praise God that you have been grieved like this in order that you have turned to God and repented. I think that's the other side of sorrow, right? That if we don't understand our own sin, we won't experience this kind of sorrow. And if we do experience it, it's it's because we understand the depths of our own sin. John. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't really thought much about contrition and sorrow. Um, yeah, there might be a connection there. Not really sure right now. Um, but, I mean, definitely, like, if you, <laughs> if you repent from your sin, that means you understand your sin, at least at some level, right? And that you are sorry for it. That you understand its depth and the wrongness of it. Um, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
it doesn't sound right to say, you know, it's it's good that you were sorry. It's good that you were hurt. Um, that doesn't make a lot of sense from a worldly perspective. Um, but I think when the Lord looks at our lives, right, and part of why God puts trials in our lives, right, is to say, I'm glad that you're hurting, in a sense, because it's forcing you to turn back toward me. It's forcing you to turn back towards God. Um, and so another thing that we can say about sorrow, right, is that sorrow and suffering are go together. With all the trials that we've talked about, with James, um, and the people that we've looked at as examples, we'll look at a few more. Right? Sorrow and suffering go together. When we suffer and we're going through sorrows, Scripture over and over and over again tells us that the purpose right, is to pull us back to God. The purpose of sorrow is not arbitrary. Right? We, we can have this idea that, well, God is arbitrary. He's just doing whatever. It's just random. Or maybe even it's more that we think that God has forgotten us, that God doesn't love us or doesn't care about us. <laughs> the problem with that, right, is that ignores all the things that the Lord says. Because he says, no, when you go through trials, it's because I'm doing something in your life. If you had it easy and life was just smooth sailing the whole way, that's actually a bad sign. <laughs> Read Psalm 73. The psalmist looks at the life of the wicked and he says, they have it easy. Their whole lives are just one big party. They get to eat all they want. They get to do whatever they want. There's no consequences. They get to be wicked. Why am I doing this? Why am I following God if all it leads to is sorrow? And then the psalmist says, I was like a beast towards God because I was feeling this way. And then I went to God's house. And I went to God. And I saw what happens to the wicked. That if your life is just smooth sailing, super easy, you get everything that you want, that's actually a bad sign. But it's the opposite, right? The other thing is true for the, the Christian, that if life is is difficult and hard and we're undergoing trials and sufferings, it's actually a good sign. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it is, because that means that we are on the path towards the Lord, that the Lord is working in us and purifying us and calling us to repent, that he's caring about us enough to not give us what we want because he has something better prepared. Right? Jesus' words, your sorrow will be turned to a joy that no one can take away. That, yeah, there's anguish in childbirth labor right now, but you're going to forget it because you're going to see the joy that God has prepared. Um, so I think that's part of the, the purpose of sorrow. There's a few examples in Scripture um, of people who are sorrowful either for injustice or for their own sin. Classic example is David, um, sorrowful for his own sin. Right, read Psalm 51. That's the psalm of a broken person of someone who is deeply wounded over their own sin. Or Jesus sorrowful, right, in the Garden of the Gethsemane, or sorrowful for the death of his friend. Um, the author of Lamentations, 
right, sorrowful for the destruction that's happened to Jerusalem, even though in Lamentations he says, God is doing the right thing, but it's really hard. This is the right thing for God to do, and yet it doesn't make it any easier to bear. In a sense, sufferings, we wouldn't have to endure sufferings if they were easy. We endure them because they're hard. And I think you can just, just read the Psalms and you'll see evidence after evidence of people who are undergoing sorrows um, and sometimes without any light at the end of the tunnel. Psalm, 50, Psalm 88 is one of the darkest Psalms in all of Scripture because it doesn't end with uh, a turn back to the Lord. But it's actually on purpose, right? Because the next Psalm after 88 is... The Lord is good. It's like those are the two contrasting attitudes of the Christian life. We have these deep sorrows, and then we have this this joy and peace. So in the little bit of time that we have left, um, how do we get sorrow wrong? How do you get sorrow wrong? When you go through sufferings, how do you go in the wrong response? John? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to say. God is punishing us for something we've done. How many of us have fallen into that when it wasn't so? Now, there are plenty of times where we get chastised and disciplined, but not every time. Yeah, and, and make a distinction, too, between God punishing you for sin and you enduring the consequences for sin, right? Yeah, like when you when you go and stab a guy, like yeah, you're going to go to jail. <laughs> Doesn't mean that there can't be forgiveness with the Lord, but there are still consequences. Same with David. Like God forgave David, and yet there were consequences for him and his family. But that does not mean, right, that the Lord does not forgive. Or if God really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. Right. If God really loved me, I would not suffer. It's the fact that He does love us that says, that teaches us, right, that he loves me, and that's why I'm suffering, because he desires me to grow. What else? How else do we get sorrow wrong? Charlie. receiving the blessings when I think I should receive them, and they're not the type of blessings that I thought 
Yeah. Yeah. When we're self-focused, throwing a little pity party, you know, population one, Charlie. Why isn't everybody else pitying? Why isn't God pitying me? Uh, yeah, we we get self-focused all the time, right? And especially when we suffer, Dave. Sure. Yeah, in a sense, it's asking the same question. Right? Why is this happening to me versus what is God teaching me? It's kind of the same question, but a very different attitude of the heart. Right? One is, I don't deserve this. How dare God? The other is submission. Try- Yeah. Why is not why is God not doing uh, more difficult things to fall on me because I know what kind of sinner I am? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like that. Oh, what was it? Um, don't ask. You know, why does God allow evil? Ask why does God allow good? <laughs> right. If if evil is so bad, then there shouldn't be any good in the world, and yet there is evidence of God's grace. Uh, yeah. So things like self-focused, um, asking the wrong questions, um, God hates me, right? This is evidence that God doesn't care about me. Um, or even worldly sorrow, right? As we read in Corinthians, um, the godly sorrow leads to repentance, but worldly sorrow leads to death. Why? <laughs> because it's not about the sin. It's about the consequences of sin. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry that I have to go through this. Godly sorrow is, I'm sorry that I have sinned, and I will go through whatever I need to go through. I will accept whatever God decides is my is, should be the consequence, because I deserve it. Worldly sorrow doesn't believe it deserves it. Um, so in closing, uh, I always include, right at the end of the outline, God's character. Uh, not just right that we see Jesus himself going through sorrows, but how does God respond to our sorrows? Does God care? Um, and the answer is yes. And how do we know? Uh, because he specifically said that he has given us the spirit who is called comforter. And Jesus calls himself a friend and a shepherd. The father calls you his son or his daughter. How do we know God cares? Because he shows us over and over and over again. He gives us a comforter, someone who can walk with us through the trials and the sufferings. He gives us his son who is a shepherd, who gently leads us, a friend even, someone that we can talk to and and express our pain and receive healing and grace. And we have a father who watches over us and who cares what happens to us and provides for us. It's easy when we go through sufferings to lose sight of all the things that God provides for us. Even though right, our, our bank account may run really low or we may 
think that we have no idea where the next meal is going to come from, God provides. And he says, just look outside. Look at the birds. Do they ever harvest, right? Do they ever put stuff away for the winter? No. And yet they always have food. That's how God will care for you, even in the midst of sufferings. Um, so I think the Lord's character, how he responds to our sorrow is he responds with love. And he responds by showing us that he has already dealt with all of our sin and all of the suffering that we'll go through now. There is a joy that belongs to us that no one can take away. And the joy is to see Jesus face to face. So may he teach us to look forward to that and to have, have joy and rejoice even in the midst of sorrows. So while we pray uh, and close our time together. Lord in heaven, we confess that we don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve you being present in our lives. And even when you feel distant from us, Lord, we know that you are there. We know that you hear us. And even if you have put us through trials and sufferings, we know, Lord, that it is for our good, it's for your glory, it's so that we might learn more about you and trust you more. Help us, Lord, and teach us this, that we may grow to be more like Christ, willing to bear uh, the sorrows of this world for the joy that you have set before us. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you and pray all of this in your holy name. Amen.